Eliane and I met in the Holy Land, and I spotted, I knew I spotted a kindred spirit when I met her, and I discovered her love and devotion to Jesus and to this great Saint Mary Magdalene. She's been a supporter on the front lines and behind the scenes in the development of Magdala, as well as our initiatives through Magdalene Institute to promote the dignity of women. And she brings to the discussion her personal background of growing up in East Jerusalem during times of strife and during times of peace. Magdala for her has been an oasis of peace amidst the challenges of daily life. So something keeps her coming back. So thank you for joining us, Eliane, all the way from Jerusalem in the Holy Land. Thank you, Jennifer, for inviting me over. <laughs> You, know, you and your family grew up in the Holy Land. I wondered if you could share a bit with us about your family history and how far back you've been living there in, in that area. What's um, a little bit your, your family line and what brought you there? Okay, um, our ancestry basically goes back to, uh, we, we, we could trace it at least to the early 1700s. And uh, originally, uh, the family came from Italy, and uh, they settled in Bethlehem. And then they moved to Ankarim, where they started working in uh, the uh, uh, molasses industry, and they became traders of molasses. And there, our family name changed to become Dipsy. This is my father's family. And Dips is the... Um, word in Arabic for molasses. So Dipsy is the molasses makers. And um, so they lived in Ankarim for uh, quite a while. And then uh, my grandfather, uh, who received the position to become the head of the railway station in Haifa at the time, uh, in 19, in the 1940s, he moved there and uh, and then he got married and had his children there. But then as uh, unrest started, um, he, had, uh, he had like built a home and, and he had a property and all of that. And then as unrest started, he decided to send his family to Jerusalem to keep them safe. Uh, and, and then he moved himself uh, to Jerusalem uh, in 1948 when the war started and thus losing all his property in Haifa. So he came uh, basically with nothing and uh, he rented a house for the family in Musrara, which is uh, the neighborhood of uh, adjacent to the old city walls. And he opened a souvenir shop uh, just behind uh, the French hospital of St. Louis, close to Notre Dame. And he was selling handcrafted uh, olive wood, which he did himself. Uh, and then when the war got worse, he and his family uh, sought refuge at the Casanova, like many other uh, families, uh, uh, Christian families. Uh, and then uh, when things like cooled down, they moved to Ramallah for a couple of years and then moved back to Jerusalem. Uh, where my my parent my my uncle was became a doctor and then my father became a dental surgeon and the family just stayed there and we were all raised up in Jerusalem and the same with my husband's family uh, his father was uh, 
from Nablus and he stayed uh, all his life there. And then he moved in the early 1950s where he married my mother-in-law and he was working for the World Lutheran Federation at the time. And, uh, and that's how his family became Jerusalemites. They were like living in Jerusalem, so. And your husband and son ran, run the family tour agency business and they create tours around the holy sites. So the holy sites are significant for you, I imagine both personally and also professionally for your livelihood. Um, so in your, in your own faith journey, how have these, what have these holy sites been for you? Do you feel like you might have taken them for granted since you just lived there and they were a normal part of the fabric or did you seek them out? Did your family visit them? What, what have they been for you? Um, yeah, my, uh, my mother-in-law, my late mother-in-law and father-in-law established the Bible Land Tourist Bureau Agency and the mission was uh, to embrace uh, the pilgrims that came here uh, with the char Christian charity and love and provide for them the uh, knowledge and uh, of the history and archaeology and um, you know the holy of the holy sites and uh, uh, of the area and um, uh, so the the holy sites are for us have been very important and crucial. I mean uh, they connect us both to um, uh, to the Bible passages uh, and Jesus' life. So when we contem contemplate the, the Bible, the, the, we, Jesus' life comes alive in these locations. So uh, for us, I mean, like every single feast, every single uh, uh, celebration, we go to these places. I mean, it connects us. We feel that we are accompanying Jesus um, Especially like uh, like with uh, Nativity, Bethlehem, uh, we go to the grotto, we visit. Uh, most of all, Easter. Easter is, for me at least, and my family is a very special and dear uh, uh, feast. Uh, we accompany Jesus all through the Passion from Palm Sunday going from Bethphage to St. Anne and then um, doing the uh, going to Gethsemane and... Uh, doing the uh, holy hour and then walking the Kidron Valley um, all the way to San Peter and Galicantu and uh, at night in a procession. So as if we're walking with Jesus, you know, sharing the passion with him. And then the following day on Friday, we just go to um, uh, do the stations of the cross and, and then finally be at the Holy Sepulchre. So, it, it really ties us to, it brings the Bible alive. It brings Jesus' teaching alive to us. So, uh, I mean, you really can't but be in these places. And uh, it is really special. We are privileged. And we try to be, uh, I mean, this Easter was very hard for us during the COVID-19 because it was the first Easter ever that, I don't participate actually in those places and and be there. I felt like Jesus was like all alone, you know, and it was like very hard for me. And uh, and especially also my children were not here, so we, which we all tend to be together at Easter time. And uh, 
So it's um, those the holy places are important, but as the holy sites are important, so are the living stones, the Christians of the land. And this is uh, this is the connection I believe between the Christians abroad and the Christians here and the holy sites. I feel that we are the people that are holding the fort uh, for uh, our Christian brothers and sisters. And uh, this is why we always encourage and, and are so happy when pilgrims are coming. Uh, unfortunately, during these times, all the sites are so empty. Um, at least we have some, we as locals go there, but uh, we would like to share it with our brothers and sisters from abroad. Mm. It almost feels like a holy Saturday, right? The, the tomb, you know, where's Jesus? Yes. And then Saturday, early Sunday morning, he's not there. The tomb yeah. is empty. You know, you, you want to hold on to hope and yeah. hope you're going to encounter the, res, the risen Christ soon. Mm -hmm. um, so it feels like we're, we're kind of in that moment, right? Just holding on to hope. Yes. And you've experienced that a lot. I think in your own life, yes. from having known you, I, I feel like you're a woman who continually holds on to hope. <laughs> Without hope, there is no life. <laughs> I mean, hope is our essence, and Jesus is all about hope. And, uh, and uh, in him we trust, and in him we have our strong... Um, it's like through him we get our strength, and, and strength comes from hope. And we have to always keep hopeful that uh, things will change for the better. Yes. You know, um, so I don't know if you remember your first reactions to Magdala and mm -hmm. hearing that they had discovered something. So you have been, you worked for Notre Dame in Jerusalem. So mm -hmm. you saw probably the beginnings of this project. Can you share with us your first reactions? Uh, what excited you about that project? What stirred in your heart? Um, when the first news about acquiring the land of Magdala came out, I was actually working in the professional promotion hospitality section of uh, the Pontifical Institute of Notre Dame Center of Jerusalem. And, you know, like everybody was like, oh, Father John went to buy the piece of land in Magdala. And this is, there's going to be a big project and all of that. So there was like a lot of excitement going on. But I was not like involved, and uh, and then uh, I remember uh, in 2010 when uh, Father Juan had asked me to work with him on the project. It was like, wow, I get to be now part of this beautiful project, and I get to know it. And uh, so my first visit was to Magdala was July 2010. And uh, we were like having a weekend, a family weekend, and we met Father Juan uh, at Magdala. And there were some people he was showing them around, and there was nothing. There was just, it was Hawaii Beach, but it was like an empty plot of land. And part of the, they were like starting to excavate. <clears throat> they were working on uh, some of the excavation. So I was just like looking, wow, I said, like, wow, this is gonna be a big project. and. And I didn't, at that point, I mean, like, it was exciting to see something new being built at the seashores of the Galilee because it's been hundreds of years since the last uh, 
uh, I think a site or um, church was built on the seashores. So for me, being a Christian from the Holy Land, it meant a lot. So, um, so and I, I came and I, I had no clue about what, what I was getting into, you know, <laughs> because I was in, in, in a totally different field, working in a totally different field. So I realized that I uh, needed to start working on preparing promotional materials and fundraising materials because this is a project that can only be funded by generosity of benefactors. And um, so I established the uh, marketing and development office and started working on all promotional materials and uh, fundraising materials, as well as building the database. So um, that's where the journey started. And, uh, and then I remember visiting uh, following year. I mean, I, we, we, I didn't go much at the beginning to Magdala, but like I remember in 2011 when I went there and I saw the changes since I was there. And I was like, wow. And there were like volunteers and seeing how the volunteers were... Uh, they came from, from mostly from Mexico, and it was beautiful to see that they came with such enthusiasm to work in, in a project and to be part of the excavation and living in a very humble way. And they were all living in, in community, and um, I got the privilege to spend a night with them. And it was beautiful to see how, how they, they were all together and working together and... Uh, waking up so early in the morning so that they will avoid the heat of the nights and, and the sun. And, and so it was really pretty exciting. So as the project moved forward and slowly, slowly the building, the, the building started and, um, and the, you know, like the, the finding of the stone, the Magdala stone and all the works and studies about it. And, uh, and, uh, it was all exciting, really, and the events of the event of inaugurating the Dukin Altum was very special. I mean, we inaugurated it in, in means, in, in very minimal means, with the support of Notre Dame, and it was really beautiful to see all the people coming and in, you know and being part of that celebration. So it was like such a um, I mean, like, I was like seeing uh, Magdala, you know, like I, I started, I saw the birth of Magdala and, and its baby steps and its teenage and its uh, adulthood. I mean, I went through all its process. Mm -hmm. And when I, uh, when I was preparing for the inauguration of the guest house, I really literally felt like I was preparing for my daughter's wedding. It was like, <laughs> it was like so close to me. I mean, I, I was, I was, it was so emotional and uh, special. But as a child, I was always drawn to the Galilee whenever my parents took us there. And even when I got married and we were taking our kids to weekend, my husband would say, Eilat or the Galilee. And I said, I know the Galilee. And I never knew what really attracted me to, to the Galilee until one day, of course, after the uh, aftermath of Magdala, I was like contemplating the readings of Easter and Jesus was telling Mary Magdalene, uh, tell my brothers to go to the Galilee and to meet me and encounter me there. And this is like 
wow, that's why. I mean, I keep going there because that's where I want to uh, encounter Jesus and, and be with him. And every time I went for a visit to Magdala and uh, spent, I was, while I was driving, I was like, I wonder what the message is going to be for me today. So each of the chapels have spoken to me in a different way and uh, each time with a different message, I go there with an open heart to hear and listen to the word of Jesus. Um, one special uh, event that happened to me while uh, participating in uh, one of the retreats, uh, we were at the Encounter Chapel, and I was going through a hard time. I remember it was in 2000 and um, probably 16 or 17, no, 2017, I think. It was March 2017. And I remember uh, um, being at the Encounter Chapel, praying and crying and uh, and... Ashley was next to me and uh, she was like rubbing my back, I remember. And it was a moment where I realized that I have to surrender and give everything and put everything in God's hands and put him in the driver's seat of my life and to just trust him, simply just trust and let go. Um, so while she was rubbing my back, I felt like something was pulling from my back. And later on, and, and then I felt peace, total peace that evening. And then like a couple of months after, I was like telling Ashley, thanking her for supporting me during that moment. And I said like, you know, while you were rubbing my back, I really felt something was pulling out of my back. And she said like, okay, I didn't want to scare you, but I felt like I saw something black coming out of your back. So that was a very special moment of conversion, a special moment of healing that I went through. And this is a moment that I will never ever forget in my life. Um, there have been very powerful moments, people of prayer in that in that chapel, and uh, it it brings to mind the supernatural world that there that we really are in a battle of sorts um, mm -hmm. between the good and the good spirits and the bad spirits, right? And and uh, what a beautiful imagery that chapel is right below, actually another mosaic of Mary Magdalene and Jesus. And Jesus is pointing his finger at Mary Magdalene and out from her back is coming, <laughs> is coming the seven demons. Yeah, you know true. that chapel, you've sat there and prayed in it for, you know, probably hours and hours. How many candles have I lit for your intentions in that chapel? <laughs> um, so we know, um, I think Magdalene brings us to the consciousness that there really is this battle for the human spirit and Jesus is fighting it for us and in us, but, but our, we have to be open. And it's so beautiful to hear that openness, to listen to the voice of God, to surrender to him. That's a, a great testimony. Yeah. It's, it's truly special to be able to be, uh, be able to experience this. And uh, I really miss uh, asking you to, Light candles for me. Then. <laughs> yeah, we have, you've had to find somebody else to ask now. <laughs> yeah, we know. But what about Mary Magdalene? Speaking of her, um, what's what was your impression of her as you grew up, and did that change at all, or do you feel like 
you've grown closer to her or had a different vision of her um, as you got more and more involved with Magdala? Um, growing up, I mean, I, I, I was uh, studying uh, at the Rosary Sister School and it was, it's a Catholic school. And uh, I mean, during our catechism classes, we, we never spoke about Mary Magdala. I mean, she was just uh, the sinner uh, who Jesus uh, expelled the seven demons. And there was no devotion for her, no prayers for her, nothing. I mean, it was just a woman I heard about in, in, in from the Bible, and that's it. I truly began to learn more about Mary Magdalene, and it, because it was the you know like Magdala is the hometown of Mary Magdalene, and that started prompting me to learn more and wanting to know more about her. And those many hours of me sitting there, I was just like trying to understand her and trying to understand her relationship with Jesus. And I realized how beautiful it was. And um, Mary Magdalene, uh, I mean, to me, she is a role model of a servant leader, uh, a servant woman leader, and who probably uh, being living in a patriarchal society that she was living in and with the challenges she had and being the sinner and all her past wasn't easy for her. And, um, but yet I could see her like smiling, continuing to serve, not, not worrying about what whoever and whatever said or talked about her and her, main focus was Jesus, serving him and being there for him. She, with her pure love, I mean, um, it's, she just, that pure love, you know, like over, uh, she managed to cross over all the fear and be with Jesus even at the hardest moments. Uh, uh, being at the cross, you know, and walking with him all the way to the cross and uh, being there for, you know, like walking in the middle of the night, just like going to the tomb, checking if he's there, you know. So, um, so to me, she's uh, a role model of a leader and uh, who just push forward. And sometimes I just wonder if she ever wrote anything and I really wish if there is anything that she had wrote that the church would reveal it because I am sure she like all the others she wrote something being a woman uh, you would want to share the feelings your experiences uh, and especially when you are you had a teacher and um he was her rabbi. I mean, he's a rabboni, you know? It's a, um, they had that connection, that special connection. Uh, uh, and Jesus um, appreciated her so much that, and he appeared to her. He could have appeared to Peter, but he didn't. He appeared to Mary. Just to say to everybody else, the women are important for the society, and for the church, 
and they are equal to the man. And uh, he made her the apostle to the apostles. And I was so happy when Pope Francis just elevated her to the status of, uh, you know, like to have her as a feast like the other apostles. Mm -hmm. So to me, this means a lot. And uh, I really wish, and I, so many times I just like pray and I say like, I wish I know you more, <laughs> you know, it's like, I would, I would like to say that to her. And um, do you ask her for any particular favors? Is she, is she somebody that you feel like I, these are the things specifically I ask her for? Yes. Um, Mary Magdalene is the patron saint of Magdala and it's volunteers and He's my patron saint. I mean, I, I, I joined Renium Christi five years ago on the feast of Mary Magdalene on July 22nd. And I specifically chose that day. I mean, I woke up one day and I said like, okay, I want to join the, the movement. And, uh, and then it just came clear to me, it's going to be on the feast of Mary Magdalene because there was some kind of connection that I feel connected to. And um, so, yes, she, I have taught her out and, and Magdala along the way with the fundraising, along the way with the challenges that Magdala went through with all the papers, the documents, the, the hiccups and everything that, so every time I go to her, I did so many novenas for uh, Magdala and its advancement and to reach its full potential. To, and I placed it in the uh, hands of Mary Magdalene. So also the team, also the volunteers. Um, it's beautiful to see that they are following the role model of Mary Magdalene in serving. No matter from which background they came from, they learned to be humble and hum you know, humility was part of their service. And to see them bloom and grow, it was really a special time for me to see them really change. I mean, I've seen them. I was more closer at one point because there was not much, not many people there. I mean, it was just me, Father Juan, and Nestor at one point, Jorge at one point. It was just like small and it wasn't, uh, so I had more contact with them and I could see how they changed and how their lives was touched. It was like so beautiful. So yes, I, and then I had my personal intercession, asking her for my intentions for the family, for my work, for the challenges I was going through. So she was a person to go to. Uh, I would go to her and say like, give me your patience. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, and I'm sure you went through what I'm going through right now. And I hope that you will just, Help me through it. So, um, so yes, Mary has been a go-to person for me. So there's a real identification with her own experience, and uh, she—it sounds like you feel she's somebody you can count on. Do you, <laughs> do, you do you feel as um, as an Arab Christian woman, or um, does Mary Magdalene speak to the Arab Christian woman in particular? Or you feel like you've just had this special gift because you've been there in Magdala and developed that relationship? I am hoping that the women will experience 
Mary uh, Magdalene as I have experienced her. I mean, they would identify with her. Uh, Mary Magdalene was living under occupation. She was living uh, and she was serving and providing for a leader who was defying many laws and many, uh, you know, and it, he was not really very popular amongst the, uh, the religious or amongst the uh, rulers. So uh, yes, he was popular among the people. And so she went through like what we're going through as Palestinian women. And that's why we identify with her is like, go for what you believe in and, uh, and stand for what you believe in and she did and she didn't she had no fear going with jesus walking with him going to the cross she didn't fear she didn't fear the soldiers well while the men ran away she didn't so um to me that's how i identify with her as a christian palestinian woman uh she she taught me not to fear just to be bold and courageous and stand for what you believe in. And, uh, and I'm sure the women, I mean, many have come to Magdala through the uh, encounters uh, that we had, and they're starting also to learn about Mary Magdalene. So I'm really hoping that uh, we, we will be able to develop more that aspect on the local level. I know that uh, people that come from abroad are well acquainted with Mary Magdalene and, and uh, have a devotion for her. So I'm hoping that this devotion will be, will be able to develop that in her own hometown among the people of the land. Mm -hmm. That would be a, a beautiful objective of Magdala actually. And it reminds me that when I first met you back in 2014, um, I, I perceived you have a real heart for women. And then eventually, within a year, um, we began the Magdalena Institute. And I asked if you would be part of sort of the brainstorm of what should this be? Uh, because the spirit of Magdalene Institute or whatever it was to become, it was sort of there among the people envisioning, you know, how, how, how are we to help these women? How are we to bring the message that Mary Magdalene offers us today? Um, to women. So um, what was that like for you to be um, a part of that beginning, the seed of the Magdalene Institute? And even though it's still, it's still sort of in the seed stage even now, but, um, but there's something there. It's like we did plan to seed. And what does that mean for you to be a part of a ministry for um, promoting the dignity of women? Um, actually, when, when we were preparing the, um, <laughs> the promotional brochures and we were like, uh, identifying all the aspects of Magdala, which is not just simply a church, not simply a guest house, but also the Magdalena Institute. And I, I had asked Father Juan to be part of the, uh, ministry of, uh, of, uh, Magdalena Institute because it is I've always uh, worked with women and uh, with youth and and I've seen how much there is need uh, to work not just only for women uh, because you can work on the dignity of women and promote it but 
you have to work on the several levels, which is the, the, the man, the children, the whole family, the parents, it's just the whole family. And that's, um, it's a whole unit that we need to work on promoting and, and the dignity and the healing. And uh, there are lots of topics to, to, to touch on. And remember when we were speaking and we, it's, we just, the first thing was like Magdala is the healing oasis. That's what we all looked for. And that's how I felt like, and that's why whenever I was driving, I would be coming with a big smile because I'm going to my oasis to where I'm close to Jesus and uh, where I feel peace and harmony. And um, so, so the Magdalena Institute, I mean, is, is, is a crucial part and it is the heart of Magdala. To me, it is the heart of Magdala and um, we have planted a seed. I mean, definitely there's a seed there. But this seed needs to be nurtured and developed a lot. And, um, and there's a lot to do, a lot more than anyone can think. Uh, it's just like focusing and, and really, really focusing on what really matters. There are lots of things that we can do, but there's a core. And the core is the human dignity. And Magdala is, and, and Duke in Altum, I mean, it's the only church dedicated for the dignity of women. And this is like, wow, to me, this is so special and dear. And that's why it makes it the more important. So we have the building. We, ha we have the heart, which is the Magdalena Institute, the heart that needs to pump and reach out to all, whether the pilgrims that are coming, the visitors, the volunteers, the locals, because the locals, I mean, are in much need. Uh, you know, you know well that Christians are less than 1% 1, 1 of the total population and there's a huge need and a gap there. And whether for women, youth, um, there's a lot to be done and it's a big, it can become a huge ministry if worked I mean, if we can all work together and that they all, right, that would be my, so much my, vision, so much vision, right? We uh, to pray to pray that um, whatever yes. God's will is there really flourishes, yes. right? But yes. you you made a really good point. Um, how beautiful you experienced, and you I think you you hit the nutshell there. It's a it's an oasis of healing. Yes. And it's so appropriate considering Mary Magdalene experienced that from Jesus, right? It's through that encounter with Jesus and she was set free of those seven demons. And we always say that the deepest healing is salvation. She received redemption from the Lord. Yes. So um, I know people feel that it's a place of healing, even you know, emotional healing, psychological healing, perhaps even physical healing, but the deepest, most beautiful healing is receiving that gift of forgiveness, reconciliation, and redemption from the Lord. So yeah. I, I always feel like that's the big intention we need to ask for um, Mary Magdalene, maybe in this time that we're living. It's a, she's a great intercessor for healing of nations, healing of um, strife in people's hearts, 
so that the Lord would truly be in the center and yes. will encounter the peace that he wants to give us. Yes, definitely, definitely. Well, we're going to wrap up here, Eliane, but thank you so much for joining us and uh, let's entrust all of our intentions to Mary Magdalene. All in God's hands and in the intercession of Mary Magdalene. Amen. God bless you and all what you do. And you are a true Magdalenian, as I told you. We are, <laughs> we are this group of Magdalenians that are um, truly following the footsteps of Jesus. We try. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Eliane.